You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Locked On Jazz for the 19th of November. The draft is in the books. The Jazz went big. I mean, really big, like way bigger than anyone expected. And why did they do it? We'll explain that. Plus, who is Elijah Hughes, the Jazz second round pick? It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked On Jazz. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA Insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. The draft is in the book. The Jazz got a guy called Doke, who's seven foot tall, 7'7 seven, seven wingspan, 41-inch standing or vertical jump, 37-inch standing vertical jump. They got a physical marvel, and they got a big center. How come? We'll talk about that coming up. I wanted to first congrat, thank uh, all you who tuned into our draft show last night. It was so fun to be with Chad Ford. Our local experts were amazing. Uh, and really, I thought we gave an insight and an expertise on a draft show that uh, no one else uh, matched. It is going to be up on Locked on NBA today if you want to kind of relive the first round of the draft with all of our local experts and some of the classic moments of the night. All right, so in a day and age where the league is going to pace and space, where everyone talks about big guys being played out of the league and where centers have become supposedly irrelevant, why did the Utah Jazz, who have the best center in the NBA defensively and one of the more impactful offensive centers in the NBA, draft another center? Why did they do that? That has to be the question that much of the league is asking, most Jazz fans are asking, and let me see if I can give you an explanation and an understanding of why the Jazz pulled the trigger on a seven-foot-tall Udoka Azubuke out of Kansas who would play four years at Kansas, is 21 years old. There are some questions on that back from his when he came over from Nigeria, but it's really irrelevant. Um, as one draft expert said, it's more of a curiosity issue than a relevancy issue um, to who he is as a player. So why would the Jazz do this? First of all, this was the guy. This was not, from every indication, some misread of the draft board. This The Jazz traded down the night before to add a second-round pick, which they end up using to move Tony Bradley. They That was, when they made that trade, it was with the knowledge that they were drafting Azubuke, hopefully, and, get, and being able to parlay into another pick. So this is not a case... And and this happens. This is not a this and if it happened, this is reality. Things happen fast in a draft room. Justin Zanuck talked about it last night in the press conference. I know plenty of stories of NBA draft rooms where they have it laid out, they find out someone's about to move up and grab a guy, and all of a sudden it is mad panic. Your player and you draft someone and it you know, maybe it turns out, maybe it doesn't, but it wasn't your plan. This is not the case in this circumstance. The Jazz uh zeroed in on Azubuke, he matches what the Jazz do, what the Jazz think are important, how the Jazz play, and this was the guy that they went and got. So why? The rim is the holy grail in the NBA. Getting to the rim 
and denying the rim. That's what the Jazz believe. That's why Rudy Gobert is so important to them. That's their fundamental belief, and there is a lot of data to back it up. If you deny shots at the rim, that's good. And if you can dunk, that's better. So really, the two things that you have here are the fact that you have, you know, the rim. We're talking about the rim. The teams, the six teams in the NBA, top 20%, denied shots at the rim last year, won 61% of their games. So just don't let someone shoot at the rim. You won 61% of the games. The top six teams in the league defending shots at the rim, so making them not go in, won 63% of their games. So a pretty good way to win in this league is being the elite group of not allowing people to either get to the rim or make shots at the rim. By the way, teams denying three-point shots won 43% of their games. Teams who got shots at the rim offensively only won 50% of the game, the best teams. But the teams that made shots at the rim won 65% of their games. And oh, by the way, teams that got the most threes won 60% of the games. And the way the Jazz get threes is they roll to the rim with a dominating force, force you to bring another guy in because of the size and length of their player, and then they kick out to open threes. And the Jazz were the best three-point shooting team in the league last year. So the Jazz play a pretty unique style. We look it up. The Jazz run more picks than anyone else in the league. They run more handoffs than anyone else in the league. They play the drop big more than anyone else. It's a little bit of a problem when Dame Lillard and Jamal Murray are bearing shots. But you know what we talked about last week on the show? That the off-the-bounce three, while it's going to become wildly prevalent, has about 15 guys, I can pull it up again, that shoot over 35% on an above-the-break three, on an off-the-bounce three. And when you're playing drop big, what you're basically doing is trying to force people into that off-the-bounce three-point shot or into a mid-range shot. And frankly, the Jazz on certain players are going to have to evolve a little bit about how they play their bigs and what they do with it. But on the other end, it's still not an efficient shot. It's a pretty good way to win basketball games. Just to remind everybody, if you didn't, I don't expect all of you to listen every day. I would love it if you do or if you did. Um, and if you don't already, we are here for you every day and bring you uh, this analysis each and every day. So if you wanted to tune in every day, that would make me really, really happy. But the fact is, if you look at off-the-bounce three-point shooting, there's 82 guys in the NBA who took one and a half a game last year, and there's only... You know, there's only about 20 of them that make over 35%, and that's only taking one and a half. If you take the number to two, there's 55 guys in the league that take two of them, and the worst offense offense in the NBA last year was was a 1.1. So that's anyone, the guys who shoot over 36% on an off-the-bounce three are at 1.08, It'd actually be one of the worst offensive shots in the league. And there's only about 15 guys that are above that. The Clippers got one in Luke Kennard, a huge pickup by them yesterday. So there's a philosophy and a style to what the Jazz believe in, that rim is the holy grail. You're denying the Jazz are the only defensive team in the NBA that's fifth in the league, top five in the league at denying the rim and top five in the league in denying the three. They believe in the pick and roll and attacking the rim vertically and forcing defenses to react to that to open th- good-look three-point shots. And now the Jazz have the capability, if Azubuke is ready to go next year, 
to do that for 48 minutes consistently. He's a physical marvel. It's interesting to me that both David Morway and Justin Zanuck, maybe trying to relieve pressure on him, made it talk about the fact that they don't expect a lot out of him next year. Understandably, no summer league, different type of system. I'm, I'll am i be a little surprised and maybe we'll make a move in free agency where we don't need him to. We'll add a center, we'll add a 4-5 of some sort because it's clear that the focus from the front office, if you listen to Dennis Lindsay, you listen to David Morway yesterday, is that they went from being one of the elite defensive teams in the league to the 11th or 12th defensive team, and that's not acceptable to them. And the number one thing they're trying to do is get better defensively. And as we have talked here on Locked on Jazz all offseason, we were just really small. And if we can add a four, slide Boyan to the three, slide Joe to the two, put Donovan at the one or Mike at the one, we're big. Even at Boyan, even Joe at the three with Mike, and Donovan and another four were big all of a sudden from being small. So maybe we are adding some sort of four or five to this mix in free agency, and we'll see. And then there won't be a lot of pressure on Azabuke to play yet. But if it, he's so physically dominant that I, unless he gets in terrible foul trouble, I, it feels to me like he should be able to contribute a little bit. And he and it goes into what the Jazz do. So fundamentally what the Jazz did is just double down on what they believe in. And they believe in denying the rim. They believe in attacking the rim vertically in the pick and roll and using that attack vertically to open three-point shooting. And Azubuke was the best guy in the draft who does those things. He's a physical power. He's seven feet tall with a 7'7 wingspan. He's an amazing dunker. He's got decent feet. He's actually got a pretty decent little hook shot around the basket. All right, we'll talk about my concerns on Azubuke, what else we could have drafted and who we think he might be in the league. We'll then touch on Elijah Hughes, and then I'll give you some thoughts around the NBA on what happened on draft day. Today's show is brought to you by Intercap Lending. That's Steve Carter. I'll tell you, so I've been the voice, the person for Intercap Lending. You know who the new voice spokesperson for Intercap Lending is going to be? It's going to be our COO, Carl. You guys might not know Carl. He's the one who's turned locked on from a back of the napkin company that I put together four years ago and didn't really know what I was doing into a bona fide legitimate company that's now top three or four pot sports podcast company in the country listens and he's done it all. So he just bought a new house. Uh, I didn't know we were paying him that well, but he did. And no, I'm just kidding. And uh, he used Intercap. He's like, really? They're that good? And he's like, they're amazing. Yeah, Steve Carter is amazing. So now I'm going to have Carl do all of our ads instead of me. But I've used Steve twice. So we, you know, this is an easy one. Intercap Lending came to Utah. They've been in the business for 40 years. They came to Utah. And uh, Josh Romney brought him to Utah in 2016, kind of the right time we came. We've been together with him. And frankly, this is just a case where I use them, COO uses them, everyone in our company uses them, and you can too. And Steve Carter's amazing. The customer service is through the roof. You'll email me afterwards and be like, I can't believe it. It's true. So call Steve, 385-800-8528, Intercap Lending, NMLS number 19-0465. For more information, visit intercaplending.com. They are, I can give you all the sales points, okay? So they're direct lender, no overlays, no additional requirements. They keep the loans. They've had my loans all the time. They are flexible, 
because they're a direct lender, they're hyper responsive. And then, but really it's all, to me, it's about Steve Carter and the amazing customer service. 385-885-28, 385-885-28. Chad Ford's NBA Big Board is doing a Western Conference breakdown with Tony Jones and an Eastern Conference breakdown with Brad Rowland, if you're looking for a show. All right. So let's talk about why. All right. So what we did is we doubled down on what we believe in. So why this guy? Well, when he was on the floor defensively for Kansas last year, they allowed 86 points per 100 possessions. And when he was off the floor, they allowed 106. So he was the dominant defensive force in college basketball last year. On the other level, it's seven feet tall and seven seven wingspan and 21 years old, you should be. Like, let's be honest. So here are the questions about the strengths are clear. Body size, Rim defense, dunking, vertical jump, decent hands, pretty good feet, credible power. Actually more of a little offensive game than Rudy at this point. Um, you know, I think he's DeAndre Jordan is probably the best comp to him. Pretty good center in the NBA for a long time. Be drafted with the 27th pick. Um, I actually think somebody like Zubak might be a comp to him as well. The Clippers, I mean, just a big mammoth player in the middle who impacts the game. Um, so I, I think... You know, those those would be my most likely comps I would have on on who he is and how he's going to play and um, what he's going to do. What are the concerns? So I've got the biggest concern to me is the free throw shooting. Brooke Lopez, by the way, without the three-point shooting is probably a comp defensively. I'm trying to think of what other comps I can give you. Um, so anyway, the free throw shooting to me is the concern. Um, bad free throw shooting becomes a psychological impediment to success for a lot of players in this league. So Lonzo Ball is a bad free throw shooter and blatantly openly avoids contact so he doesn't have to go to the free throw line. DeAndre Jordan got to points of his career where he played with the ball at such a hot potato level that he almost wasn't, he almost didn't function as well as he should have for as talented a player he is. So, I frankly think at times when Rudy's been in slumps, we've almost seen out of Rudy be such a fierce competitor that he's actually avoided that. So, that would be, like, my first concern on him is just the bad free throw shooting can lead to other issues that prevent you from using all of your skills. The second one is he's he was 270. The reports, he's down to 257. There's actually some reports he's lower. The Jazz sent people out to go see him last week. Um, according to his interviews, I just want to make sure he plays at 255. The the data on players that are over 270 in the NBA is is it's really really hard to play in the NBA at over 270. That's a that's a real concern. Um, they get injured, the wear and tears a lot. Um, it's difficult. Uh, by the way, the data on guys that have a 7-7 seven, seven wingspan is that they generally survive in the league, right? Like, I mean, there's this, for all the talk I had of Robert Woodard and how much I liked him because of his physical skills, and I did hear uh, this week that there might have been a medical on him in some capacity that maybe is why he went to 40, time will tell. Um, so we will... Um, you know, for all the talk I had of like, I loved Robert Woodard because he's 6'8", 235, and that guy lasts in the league. Like, these guys last in the league too. You know, this is a 10-year NBA pro 
at what level and what role, frankly, at the 27th pick, if he's a 16-minute-a-night backup center that allows us to do the same thing that we always do with Rudy, that's a pretty good pick. It's not sexy, but it's a pretty good pick. Um, He was at such a dominating physical advantage every time he got a ball around the paint, and so his balance looks amazing, and his feet look good, and he's able to dunk on everyone. And I can't, I don't know enough of whether or not that holds in the NBA, right? So we watch Rudy get the ball down low, and he gets jostled and bumped, and he's off balance, and his little hook shot's not good, and he shoots 30% from outside six feet. This guy, when he gets it inside, he takes that power dribble with a low base and he goes up with this little hook shot that's actually half decent and he's totally on balance. And then once he hits the hook shot once, then he ball fakes that and he steps through and he just packs it with authority. I think he's still going to be able to do that in the NBA, but I am interested to see when there's another body that's pretty darn big going up against it. You aren't switching, by the way. Like, you switch on him, he's rolling you down to the post. You're not putting a three on him, he's rolling you down to the post in a massive way. Like, if teams are going to start switching one through five universally and you try to put a Robert Covington on Azubuka, he is dunking on your ass. He's that big and that powerful. So, you know, and that's where I actually think the DeAndre Jordan comp is not great Um, I do think they're similar in their lack of offensive skill, and I do think they're similar in their vast ability to get over the top of the rim and dunk and to play vertically. Um, But I feel like Azubuke's got a better base to it. But I don't know. DeAndre Jordan's 265, so maybe not. I mean, he's a mammoth man. It's probably a pretty good comp. All right. Why not someone else? There were really four players that I think you could talk about. Jaden McDaniels, pure project out of Washington, 6'9", 210. It's going to take a lot of time to work. And maybe, honestly, maybe that's what they should have done. Um, you know, they, they kind of went the opposite. There's reports of maturity. I mean, there's clearly issues with Jaden McDaniels because you're not 6'9", 210 pounds with that type of physical skill, being a McDonald's All-American and all of those accolades, and then go 28th a year later. Chad Ford kept making a really fascinating point on the broadcast that I think is worth us all kind of keeping an eye on, which is all of the kids that came out of high school that were big-time picks dropped in the draft. So Nico Mannion goes second round. Jaden McDaniel slides. Isaiah Stewart, 16, was a surprise, but frankly, going in, he was like five. Josh Green's lower than would have been expected. Tyrese Maxey, like, these guys went to college and it did not help their draft status at all. Okay, second guy you might have taken is Desmond Bain. Desmond Bain is, I like him a lot. Uh, I think he went to Memphis, perfect position. He'll be like their fourth, fifth best player. He might be really good. I think he's kind of Blue Edwards, as I said. He's super strong. He's 22 years old. Uh, He's the exact same player as Mia One. How much better is he than Mia? Like, that's, you got to decide that. They're very similar players. They're, uh, Mia's longer, uh, but they're, they're catch-and-shoot, three-point shooters, probably not creating for themselves a great deal. Defensive-minded players. So, like, that, that, that was the other choice. The other choice was Terrell Terry or Malachi Flynn, little backup point guards that can shoot it and play and are good and do the exact same thing as Azabuke, 
but our guards. So you're putting him behind one of your best players. They're one position guys that are playing 15 minutes a night, and they might be really good. Both Flynn and Terry might be really good. They both can shoot it. They both score. They both do a lot of things really well. But those were your three choices, in, in really in, in any sense. Desmond Bain, who's refined, 22-year-old, not an elite recruit, became better at 22. We'll see if he plan, pans out. I like where he went to Memphis. He'll get a lot of opportunity. It's a good fit. Um, he's a really good shooter, gets it off. That's a little bit of a low release, but he's a nice player. Is he better than Elijah Hughes? Is he better than Mia? Malachi Flynn, Terrell Terry. Actually, in my mind, the exact same pick as Adoka Azabuke. They are developmental. Flynn's a little older than Terry. They've got some great skills. They have a role in this league. They're little. They're both little. We'd be little back-to-back. And then there's Azubuke, who does the exact same thing as of right now. He's a 15-minute-a-night player who's mammoth. Whose upside is probably, you know, DeAndre Jordan-esque. Maybe Rudy Gobert, right? Like, that's maybe his his upside's Rudy Gobert. His mid-lane is DeAndre Jordan and Zubak. Nice, valuable rotation piece at the 27th pick of the draft. I don't really think there's some other player I'm ignoring here. Um, Theo Maladin, I don't know about enough, and I guess Xavier Tillman would be. Tyler Bay, Colorado, would have been interesting. He's a pretty elite athlete. He went about seven picks later, 6'7", 220. They somewhat get that in Elijah Hughes at 6'6", 225, 230, depending. So they kind of get a similar um, player. We'll talk about him in a second. Um So also, on Bain, Terry, Flynn, the route to the floor is actually more complicated than Azubuke, unless we sign a free agent center, route to the floor. Like, with Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, Royce O'Neal, Jordan Clarkson, Joe Ingles, and maybe Boyan Bogdanovich sliding down to play some three if we sign a four... And George Niang, so you have a 2-4. I, I assume we're signing some sort of four with George Niang. Boyan's now sliding between the three and the four. Rudy Gobert's your center. Maybe we're signing a free agent 4-5 and Azubuke behind you. I don't know if there's a, there's not really a route to the floor for Desmond Bain. And then the question is, is he better than Mia? For Malachi Flynn and Terrell Terry, the route to the floor is Mike Conley leaves in a year, and that's totally a possible route to the floor behind Donovan Mitchell. It's actually no different than the route to the floor for Azubuke. They might be, but I'm not, we'll see. Locked on Fantasy Basketball with Josh Lloyd has done amazing, amazing work. Make sure you grab and listen to Josh and all his draft breakdown. He's as knowledgeable as anyone else. And go grab our local shows. These guys are amazing, know their teams, and there's super content out there all day long on the Locked on Podcast Network. All right, I think I've covered Azubuke pretty well. I think, uh, you know, Jaden McDaniels, by the way, I didn't mean to dismiss him. It's just a play. Like, it may turn out. He, he's really talented. It, it, it may turn out. Um, and that might be the miss. That might be the guy we look back at and say, you know, we decided not to draft a 6'9", 210-pound developmental project who's a few years away. 
Um, he's really talented. He was really awful at Washington. All right, who's Elijah Hughes? Elijah Hughes is an interesting player. He's out of Syracuse. He's about 6'6", 220. Um, he's got all the body skills. Like, you go look up 6'6", 220, and there's just a million of them in the NBA. It's like 100% with that. He played the most isolation of anyone in the NBA last year, or college basketball last year, not by a little, but by like a mammoth, mammoth, mammoth amount. So he used 23% of his possessions in isolation last year and because Jim Beheim doesn't run anything offensively. And, be, and the next closest was Grant Riller at like 11% out of Charleston, who just was this old man superior to all players in that league. Um, the concern on Hughes is he does not finish very well at the rim. I need to watch him more. The, I watched the Duke game last night and then fell asleep. Um, he, he might be a two foot jumper, which makes finishing at the rim in the NBA hard. He's got an interesting background, not as interesting as Azabuke's, which we didn't talk about at all. We'll talk about tomorrow. Incredible war torn, uh, out of Nigeria, uh, from Delta, uh, incredible oil history, Wars back there. Amazing. Uh, and he, dad died at 10, worked himself to the NBA. Incredible story. So Elijah Hughes is interesting because he bounced around to a lot of schools. Uh, went for Kennedy Catholic, ended up in South Kent in Connecticut. Um, and actually in high school, he played on such a good team that he was like a secondary guy. He... Went to East Carolina for a year. Didn't work out. He redshirted. Then he went to Syracuse. Didn't play. Only played two years at Syracuse. He had a nice progression. He went from 14 points to 19 points a game. He's What's interesting about that is it leads you to think that one of the biggest challenges for these guys when they come in, it's what Mia and Jarrell and all these guys had to do, is to narrow focus their game away from being the primary option and to become an NBA player. It... He, Hughes is interesting because he just had to create stuff all by himself all the time last year. And at 6'6", he certainly can. I mean, that is the number one skill he brings at a much higher level than most second-round draft picks. He's able to just go get a shot, which is pretty big deal. In fact, if we look at the, the pre-draft numbers that we had on um, Elijah Hughes, you'll remember we talked about him. He's... He, He's 84th percentile in transition. He had 144 isolation attempts last year. Um, Grant Riller had 108. Cole Anthony had 61. And uh, Malachi Flynn had 64. Peyton Pritchard had 83. Like, that's it. 144 isolation attempts last year. They just, like, he just had to clear out and beat people. But that's actually an incredible skill to be able to get off 144 isolation attempts. Most, like, Desmond Bain, you're watching him. Uh, I'm just using him because he's an example. At TCU and Fran Frischella is killing him the entire broadcast for not being more assertive. He doesn't have a game where he could be more assertive. Like, he's not capable of getting out 144 looks like that. He got 27 during the season at the exact same build and metrics is Elijah Hughes. That That's just a completely different player. Uh, Hughes was not good in the pick and roll. They didn't run any pick and roll. 85th percentile in spot up on 137 attempts, which is a lot. It's a little all over the map in the Duke game. Like he airballs a wide open three and then he hits one. He's kind of all over the map. 
unguarded catch and shoot, which is what I like. And I actually think Elijah Hughes, this is like the reason why I like unguarded catch and shoot. He was so tightly guarded. It was such a mystery. He was the only guy on that team that was taking shots at times. He took some of the worst looking shots I've ever seen. Like, because, but I also would say like with no choice. So you go to his unguarded numbers, and to me, that jumps out. He's in the 82nd percentile. He was 17 of 38 with a 67% catch-and-shoot effective field goal percent. That's pretty good. Like, the guy, there's guys that are better. Like, Neesmith was 90th percentile, and Cole Anthony was 81st percentile, and Terrell Terry's 82nd, or 80, excuse me, not percentile, effective field goal percentage is eight. Th- th- those are the best there are. Josh Green was at 76. He's at 67. It's not bad. Here's where he's really different than everybody else. And this is the isolation stuff. 120 off the bounce shots last year. So Trey Jones out of Duke had 121. Grant Riller had 134. Malachi Flynn had 127. Nico Mannion at 105. Terrell Terry at 109. Terrell Terry's effective field goal percentage was 38. Mannion's was 39. Jaden McDaniels was 38. Malachi Flynn, 47. That's why I liked him. Grant Riller, 48. Desmond Bain, 55 to his credit. Elijah Hughes, 44% effective field goal percentage. Pretty good. Trey Jones, 38. Most of the guys, uh, Peyton Pritchard, 43, probably why he got drafted. First round pick. But Trey Jones, 38. Pace Terrell Terry, 38. Nico Mannion, 39. Jamias Ramsey was one of the better, I think, at 47. I kind of liked him. No. Jamias Ramsey, 33. Malachi Flynn, 47. Jaden McDaniels, 38. Guys can't make off the bounce shots very often. 44% effective field goal percentage is pretty good. 40 in particular when you consider those shots. So here's a guy who comes who can just he can get a shot off. I think he'll be able to get a shot off in the NBA. He's not a great rim finisher. And defensively, we have no idea because he played at Syracuse. Um, they could have taken Robert Woodard with the next pick. I'm perfectly aware of that. Trey Jones was shortly thereafter. That would have been another one of the little point guards. Um, Jamias Ramsey was after that. So... Um, by the way, it'll be interesting to watch this point guard class. There are a lot of them, and we'll see which one of them turn out. Uh, Sabian Lee out of Vanderbilt actually went the pick before us. Final quick thoughts on the draft. I thought the big winner of the draft was the Clippers. I really like Luke Kennard for Landry Shamit. Um, I thought that that gave them another ball mover. Uh, Kennard's had a hard time staying healthy so that will be the key of whether that's a good move or not Shamit's not a great athlete so they didn't lose a lot there but they got added a ball mover on a team that's desperate for ball movement I thought Portland was the big winner and Robert Covington for a first round pick um, I thought that was that change that helps who they are a great deal and I thought Dallas got the A plus grand slam of the night uh, Josh Richardson is perfect next to Luca. they had Terrell Terry who's a shooter to replace Seth Curry Seth Curry um, and he's though he's little, it seems fine for them when they have little point guards. Uh, and they added Josh Green. 
So I thought Dallas hit a grand slam. So Dallas, Portland, and the Clippers, I thought, all had the best nights of the draft. That's my breakdown. Be interested in your thoughts. Feel free to hit me up at Locked On Sports. Free agency talk tomorrow. It's all upon us. This has been Locked On Jazz, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.